Hello, I'm Alan McGuire, the human editor of Headstuff.org, and this is Juvenalia, a podcast about childish things. Co-host today is Ellen Tannum of Her.ie and the Internet. Hello. And our guest is Sarah Griffin, who is a writer and author. She Her book, Spare and Fan Parts, is coming out on Green Willow HarperCollins at the end of the year, and she has a food column with the coven. Hello, Sarah. How's it going on? Hi, Ellen. What are you going to talk to us about, Sarah? I'm going to talk to you guys about The Fifth Element, um, a film by Luc Besson, starring Bruce Willis and Miljovic. Cool. So it's a... I watched it this morning again um, for the first time in a year or so, but there was a really long period where I watched it every night before I went to sleep. Um, the score is really beautiful. And the sort of landscape of it, of it is very beautiful. And I had a tiny telly in my room growing up, so I just used to stick in the DVD and let it roll. Uh, it's... On, on recent watching, it's a noir. It's about a hard-nosed detective type oh, yeah. guy yeah. Um, former major in the army um, now cabbie uh, who's disillusioned and his wife's just left him and he lives in a tiny apartment with a beautiful white cat and smokes futuristic cigarettes and regularly gets held up or robbed and one day a beautiful bizarre looking woman drops from the sky in a very futuristic New York into the back of his cab speaking a peculiar language and their adventure sets off from there so when did you first see it? So my dad's a big movie buff and uh, my God, when I say it's around 15 years ago, I'm deadly serious. He built a home cinema into the side of our gaff. So he built it from by hand. Uh, he built the screen out of wooden, out of a wooden frame and cloth and he built the shutters on it to make it bigger or smaller depending on the screen and or the, the resolution, the aspect ratio. The yeah. aspect wow. ratio. Yeah. He built a second-hand projector, he built a computer that would play DVDs because they just come out, then laser discs, and then they just came out, and then HD, and then blue. he bought a PS3 when I was working in GameStop as a Blu-ray player. Um, and he started collecting DVDs and collecting movies. So the first time I saw it was uh, in the side room of our house, which with a little bit of smoke and mirrors turns into a cinema. So, yeah, I saw it with my dad for the first time, and I thought it was just the most fabulous thing I'd ever seen it's a very visually striking film yeah so I mean like it's I remember I came saw it in the cinema when it came out and it just it felt like the most futuristic thing I'd ever seen yeah like I was like 13 I think yeah and it just and even now still it still seems futuristic which isn't always the case with sci-fi no I mean it hasn't dated in that way no. uh, other aspects of it have dated but the aesthetic is still very out of reach. I feel like a bit like the way Terry Gilliam's Brazil kind of feels where this, and I think it's because there's not a lot of CGI used in it mm. and the CGI that's used in it is really light, it's done with a very light hand and Jean-Paul Gaultier designed everything. The props, the costumes, he designed the whole thing. So the whole thing's aesthetic is very specific and yeah. I think that that is what builds the world and makes that distinct from other sort of futuristic things. It reminded me of Metropolis a little bit. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's got a really interesting style. There's a lot of weird bodies, and the creatures in it are very kind of unusual. No kind of no bobble, no grey bobbleheads. Like it's not like aliens from the future. It's aliens are really cool. And like, what was the name of the evil ones? The Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Zorg. Gary Oldman. His hair is fucking deadly. He's amazing. I was reading about him this morning, and seemingly he took a lot of. He was playing Zorg as Bugs Bunny. Yeah, and he didn't. He didn't want to. He didn't like the film. No, he was doing his part as a return favor to Luc Besson for funding a film that he had done 
it was like a trade out, I believe. So the story goes. But uh, yeah, his org is really interesting. His villain is really interesting because he's uh, he's an arms dealer. His whole uh, he's like a I'm not going to say the word Trump, but he's a multi like he's a sort of a multi um, million business owner who profits from chaos and misery. And because the more trouble people are in, the more stuff they need. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, uh, he's a wonderful bad guy. And also he never meets Bruce Willis. They never cross paths. That's really unusual. He's causing yeah. Bruce Willis all this trouble. And there's so so many capers and chaos and so much, uh, uh, it's a very fast moving plot and there's a lot happening. But the bad guy never meets the hero. That's like now when bad things happen, it's always from like a corporation at a distance yep. or Faceless. even how battles are fought and stuff now. Because mm-hmm. like, pretty much it's like there's a world war going on now, but it's all done with like drones and like dropping stuff from a distance. And it's all just kind of like clinical decisions rather than like person on person combat. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting exercise, like sort of example of like control and where the... I guess it is kind of a comment on capitalism. Like everything's a comment. Everything's a comment. Everything's a comment. <laughs> Everything like yeah. you, you know this, we know this. But there's a wonderful scene in it where he's explaining to the actor's name has disappeared out of my head. He plays Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Ian Holm. Yeah. He's like he's saying to Ian Holm plays this priest um, called Vito Cornelius who discovers uh, or who is sort of the head of the order of the, ch- for the want of a better word, church that. Uh, Worship these beings that Lilu is is a mm. is a reproduction of or a, a human version of, and uh, he's having this conversation with Zorg early on early on in the film, and Zorg is like, if I just mess things up a little, then people are going to need to buy this robot, and people are going to need to buy this robot, mm. and oh, this happens, and this person will need this, so it's a pretty on the nose. Like evil, evil. He's just very greedy. There's no. Oh yeah, he's 100 percent greed. And he's, he's, he's like mega, like mega, uh, the maniacal. Yeah, word no. I can't say. Yeah, he's not clever enough. Words. What's that word? Megalomaniacal. It's hard. That's right? yeah. two words. Yeah. Is real stressful. Yeah, yeah. that language. It's a megalomaniac. Yeah. It's a kind. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not. He's not smart enough to be megalomaniac. He's, yeah. No, he's just a dick. <laughs> yeah, he's the worst. But he is also in contact with this. This sort of the forces of good and evil are at play throughout the whole film, and that these there's this race of of incredible, uh, like super. God alien type things, or when they that opened this, they they opened the film. They're very Gilliam looking, actually. They're very, uh, they're just these huge copper beings. Their design is gorgeous, and then there's an evil thing that kind of balances out the, the good things. The evil things are kind of like lice, like giant bugs. Uh, yeah, they're. I think I think they're more like a they're, they're like an orc race. Yeah, they're evil too. There's yeah. lots. Of, there's lots of evil and lots yeah. of good. But the the thing that makes the oil drip down Zorg's forehead, that is like. Somewhere in the 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 radio can't hear me gesticulating wildly in the <laughs> distance, but uh, yeah. So it is. It is sort of ultimately very um, like it's a it's a hero's journey and all that. But uh, the style of it and the aesthetic of it and the tone of it is kind of what I loved more than anything um, growing up. And uh, I don't. Know, I don't think I've seen ever seen anything like it since. Why do you think you like, rewatched it so much? What were you getting out of it? When I was rewatching it, uh, it was the me the score is the score is outstanding, um, and I'm big into film scores. I kind of bopping around listening to orchestra music all the time, um, and there's a there's a certain um, chord to it that I just find really really peaceful. And uh, there's other things that I kind of watch over the years 
to help me go. I'm not not a, not a mad sleeper, um, so I kind of watch stuff in the evening. And I would have my other thing that helps me go sleep is the X Files, which is sort of antithetical to sleep because it's <laughs> quite scary, but similarly it's got this tone to it and I don't really know how to describe that in very specific terms but the Is fifth element like how Twin Peaks has the tone yeah 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 and only when I'm watching Twin Peaks I have to kind of sit there with my arms around my knees and like just, my eyes wide yeah I got the I got a box set of Twin Peaks when I was 16 from my dad after a breakup and he was like that'll cheer you up <laughs> and it was the first six episodes and it was before sort of torrenting or downloading and yeah, I had yeah. only had these six episodes mm-hmm. of it to watch I'm actually writing a thing for the glass about that so stay tuned um but the tone of the Fifth Element, while that's hard to describe, I feel like the I think that um, Bruce Willis's voice has a really interesting cadence to it, and the way the scripting works is very pleasant. There's just something very pleasant about it, and that is what that would be my rain sound effect, you know, or my thunder in the or distance. Whale songs, whale songs, yeah. yeah. Um, and once you get so used to something, you're like, oh no, this is it's like okay. my friend. Uh, used to listen to she used to put 30 Rock on DVD and put the volume on really low and it would be the only thing that could get her to sleep because she couldn't sleep when it was quiet which I think is like so weird because I love it when it's really quiet it's the only time I can sleep but she would have like Jack and Liz like really low in the background and then she'd just nod out No your buddies yeah no I'd be the same my other ones mm-hmm. would be like Red Dwarf or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the BBC radio series um, there's lots of just really lovely it's not ASMR you know like mm-hmm people massaging your head or like slowly crinkling paper it's just other landscapes that are really pleasant to tune into you said you kind of stopped watching it then for a while yeah did you just like do you think you grew out of it or you moved on to something else or life changed I moved out of my parents house and I moved to Galway and I started watching documentaries instead but it always kind of lingered with me um, as something that was really important and like the way I guess I continue to watch things like The X-Files and I continue to revisit it and revisit things like Twin Peaks because they're in the cultural eye and there's something you can talk to other people about. There's something that kind of, there's a certain knowledge that other people have of these shows and the sort of... Like a bonding. Yeah, yeah and mm. it's something you can have the chats about, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, whereas kind of saying to someone, oh, did you ever see The Fifth Element? Guess how many times I've seen that movie. It's <laughs> yeah. so, like, it, that's actually real off-putting for people because people don't know it or they're like, Really? One with Chris Tucker because that's the one everyone that the people yeah. people remember him for some <laughs> yeah. reason. Um, so it's just something that kind of fell out of the loop of my life. But when you asked me to do this, it's like, well, what's one thing that's really influenced you? I was like, oh my god, the Fifth Element. You know, it yeah. holds it holds this huge space for me, and I don't. And again, it's like so like falling in love with anything. It's very hard to nail exactly why, mm. uh, but it's just always been there. Because mm. you know? like your book. Uh, Sparing Fan Parts is sci-fi. It right? is, yeah. It's and the, is, can you see the fifth element in it? Or? I, tr- I, you know, I didn't watch the fifth element at all during the writing of Sparing Fan Parts. Um, and funnily enough, the structure, the thing, like I said earlier about the fifth element is that it's, very tr- it's a very sort of traditional um, man on quest. The item that he has to retrieve is the beautiful woman. Yeah. And <laughs> like there's a lot it's very patriarchal even though it's quite it is a it is a it's really subversive in that it's very camp and it's quite a queer text in other ways um, what I was trying to do with Spare and, Fair, Spare and Found Parts was actively disrupt that and actively refuse to um, take part in that kind of storytelling um, because I'm kind of as much as I love Bruce Willis as a sort of a 
hard-nosed, exhausted ex-major, I'm kind of, I feel like I've known enough heroes like that. Um, yeah. So Sparing Vampires is about a young woman who, in a hundred years from today in Dublin, uh, after the destruction of this, of society, there's give or take as many people in Dublin as there would be at Electric Picnic. Um, it's about a young woman who builds herself a partner out of a forbidden computer and pieces of uh, other people's bodies and um, biomechanical limbs. So it's her meets Frankenstein meets Children of Men, basically. And um, the reason, one of the things that brought me to it was that I don't feel that there are enough stories in the world about women who make and women who have agency around the things that they create without being mothers. And mm-hmm. uh, Fifth Element is not a feminist work. There's not a shred of it in it. No. I mean, Miloš is terrific and the role of Lily was really captivating, but she's effectively... She's a passenger and she's all powerful and she's perfect. But there's purity politics that happen in there as well. Like you just because she's lovely and nothing terrible happens to her doesn't mean that it's not kind of like icky. When Bruce Willis and Ian Holm are talking about her, like she's not. They always talk about her like she's not there and can't hear them. Mm. They're like, oh, she's perfect. And she's like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, it's just, I find that really weird because I'd never seen it before. And I was like, it's like she's the main thing, but she's like behind the glass wall. Like. The first woman we see in the film is naked. You know, yeah. like I've, I'm always, I, I feel like this radar that I can't ever switch off is just that. But how, how many women are talking? Can once you mm. see it, you can't unsee it from everything, though. Yeah, ever, yeah. and even with something you love very much. Yeah, like, you wouldn't have been aware that at the time. No, I just thought yeah. I really wanted to have orange hair and run around. Has that <laughs> been hard to reconcile, like rewatching it with your different outlook on the world and like patriarchal yeah. stuff and stuff? Yeah, it it has been difficult, but I think that there are, there are things that I see in it now with the sort of a critical gaze that I didn't see the first time, like how incredibly subversive. Ruby Rod is. So Ruby Rod is Chris Tucker's character who's a radio host and he kind of leaps around during the latter half of the film uh, causing trouble and uh, he's um, phenomenal and he's hyper camp and hypersexual, and his body is really interesting his costuming is fascinating and the wigs that they have him in are amazing and uh, he's sort of a bit like Prince in the way that he kind of almost transcends gender because he's extremely feminine. No Prince was meant to be <sighs> it was supposed to be Prince Mel Gibson <laughs> and Julia Roberts Mel Gibson <laughs> was going to be like Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts is going to be Lily. I would watch that. I yeah. would watch that. Re- I would watch that sort of alternate universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like now. slightly flipped. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. I would. I really would. But that's mad that you said that because I was reading about it today and it was like Prince he said he pulled out like he signed on oh. in 92 and it took so long to get made that he pulled out oh. for some other reason. But that's, yeah. That's amazing. Well, he's he's, he's Prince-like in that mm. sort of uh, sexually ambiguous, but also sexually aggressive, but without impairing unpleasant. Like Frank and Freddy in Rocky Completely Hour. like Frank and yeah. Freddy. And all the scenes, all the sex scenes in it, other than the, the, the final shot of the film is like, oh, come on, guys, you know what I mean? But the... Um, all of the sex scenes in it, um, this sort of this this uh, sequence where uh, Bruce Willis and Miljavich are leaving planet Earth to go on to this final stage of the quest, like leaving the light world, going into the dark world, going to finally gather the four magical stones, which each represent an element. And yeah. when they're all gathered together with Miljavich, we'll save the world, right? It's like Zelda. Uh, spoilers, <laughs> totally like Zelda. Yeah. I have Zelda tattoos, man. I'm really predictable. Like, get out of town. <laughs> Ellen has just, just showed her also her <laughs> Zelda tattoo. All right, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Take my shoes off. Take this out. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I have the ocarina of time on my left foot and the fairy ocarina on my right foot. 
No regrets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the structure of it is very, very traditional in that way. So that when they're leaving the light world and going into the dark world and heading off to the uh, to Flotsam Paradise, uh, which is where the rest of the film takes place, um, they go on this massive intergalactic spaceship and these beautiful air hostesses. I love their costumes. Costume. <laughs> they look like perfume bottles. Yeah. Um, and freckles. They've all got freckles yeah. in white hair. Like It's very, very interesting and very diverse cast as well. And there's a sequence where Ruby Rod is kind of given it loads with an air hostess. But like, he's given her loads and she's just enjoying it. And there's this, it's super subversive because in what film have you seen recently when there has been like a scene of, oh my God, I'm barely here 10 minutes and I'm like, (laughs) so, but uh, yeah, no, he's going down in uh, in one of the compartments. And when do you ever see that on cinema? Ever. That was like, um, or in science fiction, you know? Blue Valentine. Yes. Everyone was given out about that because um, like there's a way different reaction to men getting like blowjobs compared to like yeah. women getting gone down on. It's like grosser apparently to people. They're like so Ew. disappointing. Like, the good wife had a scene like that as well which was a huge controversy where like, yeah. she's like split up with her husband and he comes back and she lets him go down on her in the bathroom and it's kind of it's a really hot scene like but it's network television. Yeah. like it's, it, not, but it's like you never ever see it. Yeah, it, and it's well, yeah. you don't you don't actually see the act in the in the fifth element. Of course, yeah. it's always just alluded to as is, yeah. as is everything. But you would imagine in the context of Ruby Rod as this fabulous hypersexual celebrity, and these these wonderful fawning air hostesses. I mean, realistically, in a traditional, in in the very traditional world that this film is set well, in, everybody thinks you would think yeah. these air hostesses are like going to be going party down this yeah. beautiful man. Yeah, but what's actually happening is he's like, no, 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 you. Yeah, and that's wonderful that's yeah. super and I feel like honestly watching it growing up it definitely impacted me being like no hang on actually hang on now this is this is correct you know so yeah. um, so there's something really subversive about that and also in that he's super camp as well yeah. and yeah. his performance of gender is sexually really fluid, kinda. super sexually fluid mm-hmm. when do you ever see that in science fiction I mean like that in contrast with uh Bruce Willis is really interesting and there's a lot of backlash around the time uh, and culturally still kind of is a lot of background black backlash around uh, Chris Tucker's role and that was like oh he's so annoying I'm like mm, no campness is it disrupts what yeah disrupts gender and hetero people find stuff like that hard to deal with when it's a narrative that they're used to seeing play out in a certain way yeah, like, definitely. Mm, yeah. No. And, <laughs> and Bruce Willis absolutely can't stand him yeah yeah, and that's really interesting mm-hmm. to me as well because he's still wearing a really tight orange vest. Oh, did I still think he's kind of hot, man? I'm sorry. Oh no, he is. <laughs> no, he is kind of hot. Like absolutely not. No, he's just like John still McClane. Got the hair. Yes, he's basically like right off the back of John McClane into outer space. Yeah, he's like he just woke up and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Here's a <laughs> cigarette and we're talking to my mom on the phone. You know, like p- putting a photograph of his ex-wife down on the dresser. You know, yeah. like it's it's and that's where it meets noir. Yeah, and that's uh, such a cool observation. I never thought of it that way. My wonderful husband, Kerry Siebel's at Siebel's on Twitter. <laughs> he good. said that to me this morning when we were watching. He was like, "You know, it's kind of like a noir," and I was like, yeah, "It's exactly like a noir." Um, so uh, I have no idea where we started, uh, but yes, it's like a noir. It's <laughs> weird that it's kind of like you said. It's kind of forgotten. Yeah, like, yeah. it was huge at the time. Yeah, it was really it got exceptional. so much hype, and, and the like, budget was huge. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the, seventy million or something. And Crazy. for the for the time, that's a lot. yeah. It was the most expensive film ever made outside America. I did a lot of IMDb being so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gentle yeah. IMDb around. And Basan operated the camera a lot of the time himself, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, like I loved uh, Leon as well. 
and I think for and that's a noir mm-hmm. you know mm. like I think there's elements of that within there too and uh, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very un-American film and in the way that it treats its American protagonist is very uh, there's, there's, there's some othering there happening yeah as well, it's I think, cool as well. I wonder why um, like I wonder what drew Bruce Willis to sign on to it like what did he like about it because it just seemed yeah. like outside of his comfort zone completely compared to what he'd done before the couple of years beforehand he was kind of in the wilderness then yeah and it was I guess it was after Pulp Fiction oh my god but yeah that's what it was before before Pulp Fiction like he hadn't he'd been in like kids films and like He's weird Disney sex thrillers Disney sex thrillers a Disney <laughs> sex tell thrill. me more Alan that's my new brand Disney sex thrillers it, yeah it was called like Color of Night or something I can't remember but it was like <laughs> Gently like types articles, into yeah. notes for <laughs> like later. Articles in like the Daily Mirror about Bruce Willis's controversial new film and stuff. I remember because I used to do the Daily Mirror because my parents bought it like when I was like eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but like it was a huge deal and he hadn't been an action star really what for was several it called years, again? I think it was called Color of Night. Color I think. of Night. <laughs> but yeah, but like he hadn't been a star, like an action star yeah. for a while then. Well, it's innate in him, I suppose, isn't it? Like a, yeah. a lot of how he holds himself. And I actually, I kind of really mad into Die Hard. I'm not one of these like Die Hard Christmas jumper people. It's not really kind of my my bag. But I think that there's, I think observing him in isolation in that film, which I largely did. I yeah. go like I know I have him in the other things as a reference point, mm-hmm. but I. I don't like love him in other things. I'm not like into the, the other film, his, yeah. his his other work. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm this is just one weird film that he happened to show up in for me. Yeah. Mm. And I have a lot of affection for him in that context. His physicality is good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The way he moves himself. He's like a, like a tank. Yeah, he's very, he's all shoulders yeah. and sort of his neck is real broad. He's a bit hot, like. Yeah, yeah, no, you yeah. would, I absolutely <laughs> would. Like, the more you think about it as well, because again, he's still got like blonde hair. Yeah, and, like, like, and he isn't feet. like as craggy as he is now. Yeah, he's not an old man. He's yeah. kind of a young yeah. man. Yeah. And uh, hot dad, hot dad, mm, yeah, little <laughs> like he's like a hot, like he's like a mid 30s hot dad. He's like, yeah. I used to work in a bookshop, and every so often, dads would come in like with small toddlers, and like the, the other women in the store would like all gather together in a terrible weekend. I got the nice dad in the store with the child. I used to work in an ice cream shop on oh, Lake Street and Mercy. like hot dad central, <sighs> T- tiny children. Oh Bruce Willis was like a sprog put running around, like, but um, yeah, so he's and he's interesting in that binary as well because he's not. I guess he is like in terms of like the hero, the the like the sexy hero, hard nosed detective, because of his costuming, as well. Like yeah. he wears a luminous, like luminous orange is the sort of the tone of the film between yeah. Lulu's hair and her her costume includes it, and his his shirt is is luminous orange. He's not exactly wandering around in a trench coat and a fedora. Like he's yeah, like he's a taxi driver. You said that orange is like the color of the film and like Lulu's hair and stuff, and you have red hair. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there is some sort of correlation there at all? Oh, goals. Yeah. Oh, absolute goals. Goals forever. Uh, yeah, no, this is not an accident. Um, this is sort of Scully meets Lilu for the rest of my life. I'm very predictable. Um, I feel like I'm just like, yeah, these the women who I watched in, in cinema and television growing up, um, I absolutely chose bits of their looks to kind of plaster onto myself as I got older. And it's sort of like it's aspirational aspirational yeah. ginger like I'm so far from being like I have, I have like I have dishwater hair um, but I guess between Scully and between Lilu uh, more Lilu in college I was much brighter in college and now I'm kind of transitioning into a into a uh, into a Scully as I get older but um, yeah no definitely like that aesthetic is on yeah. the nose Mila's hair like even I feel like that micro fringe is like a thing 
now a lot like it's kind mm-hmm. of had like a grimes kind of in, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's super grimes man yeah, yeah. she's yeah. <laughs> just kind of like ratty looking but in a nice way like <laughs> but you know they destroyed her hair uh, during yeah yeah they bleached it uh, from its natural colour uh, there was no Olaplex in those days guys oh. tell you that much um, argan so oil was still just in the little fruit thing yeah it was away away from <laughs> us Far from Argan oil, we were raised. But um, baby for me. Oh my Christ! Oh, tell me about it. Um, yeah, uh, she they they burned her hair. They burned her hair off, so it's a wig for half film. Oh, yeah. I wonder is there a point where you can tell that it's a wig? There actually is because I did read that fact <laughs> earlier this morning. Her first scenes when she's in the bandages and on the side of the building. Um, the really the really iconic scene is where she jumps off the edge. She jumps off the side of the government buildings and into oncoming traffic and lands in Corbin Dallas's Bruce Willis's car, but there's this great sequence of her walking along the side of the building mm. and she's just... Because she is... Re, she's not sexualized. She's she's objectified in a way. And they, yeah. the scientists who kind of bring her out of this relic and conjure her forth from a, a piece of steel uh, immediately objectify her as soon yeah. as they've created her, mm. which is super complicated and something mm. I do kind of try and answer in, a, in the, the novel that I was working on about can you make something in order to desire it and like yeah. where like where there's something grey there that mm. I'm not really sure about and I think it could be explored more especially when it's men creating a woman mm. like in my case it's a woman creating a man but uh, they were surprised that it was a she oh of course they yeah. were <laughs> they were like I default to male I'm sorry you know <laughs> like, like and that's the, the main one surely but immediately there's this disgusting gag where like the army general's like I'm just gonna have Jake a few photos for the archives and it's like yeah get literally get away from me and that wouldn't have jarred with me growing up yeah but now I'm like Ugh, I can't even look at you probably because when you were like what age were you when you saw it you probably weren't aware of like sexual politics as a concept oh my at god all. not at all you know? there was no Tumblr when I was 15 man you know it was a different world like we were we were learning my face or die, you know. Not even, dude. Not this even. is pre then, yeah. man. Like oh forums. I was a moderator of a Pokemon forum from when I was like twelve onwards. You know I was this? moderator of a Waterford Metal forum. That is amazing. Yeah. Did you used to have long hair? Yes. Oh my god. I had long hair in transition year, but it just grew uh, perfectly straight and then got a little kink at the end. Ah, nice. And Jesus. And it's blessed Apparently. with straight, very, very straight hair. Oh, so and long eyelashes and fast growing nails that grow. I've Your keratin is just I know, stunning. Yeah. <laughs> stunning keratin, keratin levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great gene pool. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent gene pool. straight hair, like if I wanted. Mine's just all fluffy. This is not to do with the film, sorry. The hair, but the hair battle's real. I mean, I'm sure, yeah. sure Lilu was just like, God, my... My strange orange dreads. What? Separated <laughs> <laughs> into yeah. sections like that. And Bruce Willis was a wig as well. Does he? Was he bald at that point? <gasps> he would have been bald by then, I think. Yeah. That's so oh, upsetting. Man. He was bald in Pulp Fiction. So. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah. And the, the illusion is broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's weird? No, you're like, I hate this film. You, you, haven't, you, you have seen Die Hard, but you don't really rate it. I, I love Die Hard. recall having seen Die Hard at some point yeah. in my life. It's a very Because they are, film. it's almost like he's kind of trying to recapture die hard because mm-hmm. it is like even he's wearing a vest again. there's mirroring know? for yeah. sure and Ooh. it's like working class guy thrown into a much bigger thing against the capitalist because mm-hmm. Alan Rickman is just about money and die hard as well mm-hmm. so Alan and, very, and very little crossover between the villain and the hero as well in die hard. Mm. yeah because Gruber is like he's off in an office yes yeah, oh my the god whole thing. whoa maybe they are I'm, maybe I should go back and watch them and kind of die hard is actually it's a great film it's so mm. so good like it, it is kind of tainted a bit by all the people going, "Oh, best Christmas film ever." But yeah, it's like, you no, see, it's, just, I get, it's a really good film. But that's just I, yeah. I, I, that's just people 
ruining things and that just happens <laughs> I just get real I get real spiteful around things like that I'm like oh do you think this is co- I'm not gonna you want to be a contrarian I'm the same I'm like yeah. oh does everyone think this I'm gonna not yeah. <laughs> I'm just like oh, I'm gonna go over here and watch another X- episode of the X-Files again it's like, like people I, ask you if you've watched you know when you're at a party and like lads are like have you watched Breaking Bad you're like no and they're like what do you watch and I'm like I'm re-watching Gilmore Girls and they're like ooh they get so angry but Breaking Bad is literally the greatest piece of television ever like I, I can't I just 100% have no capacity for it because people won't entertain your reasons for finding it boring. I have tried to watch several of those sort of. I've watched a good deal of True Iconic Detective. TV. But to True Detective has all the women in True Detective are either uh, sex workers, teenage sex workers or wives. Yeah. And yeah. you can't unsee it. I'm like, well, this they're not speaking to me. I don't care. Oh, is it about masculinity? Get, really so is everything else. Yeah. yeah. And what I will say for The Fifth Element is that it's, it is about masculinity in some ways, but it's actually just so fast-paced that it's an adventure story, yeah. you know? Mm. Whereas long, reflective, drawn-out conversations about the nature of the masculine experience of the universe yeah. is just something, wh- when, I, when I start hearing it, it's like, you know, when you just turn out. static? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind but, like, I think The Fifth Element, even though it's about similar things, because the world that it's set in is so far removed from the real world, you don't think about it in that way as much so you can enjoy it. Yeah, it's a romp. It's yeah. a romp. It's super camp. For me, I kind of would liken it to the early sort of Batman years. Um, I was talking to my husband yeah. about Adam this morning. Adam uh, No, no, no. We're talking sort oh. of Tim Burton era, which is my favourite Batman. Mm. And I can't watch any recent era Batman at all. Like, and in you're fact, not into Nolan Batman. It makes me so specifically angry that I probably shouldn't start talking about it <laughs> no, because please, please. I just yeah, can't. Uh, I get in, I have regularly gotten in trouble with the, about, about this because I just think it's... This is the same space to not like Nolan Batman. With his head. It's trash. Like, it's just like a dude looking in in the mirror sucking his own dick. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. I want hopping around rooftops with capes and I want to escape for five minutes from the grueling grittiness of reality. I don't want to be like... That's why I don't want to watch Breaking Bad. I'm like, I'm going to watch Parks again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm off. And that's fine and great art does need to be challenging. But I think there is a sort of a trend in tone same at the same challenge all the time and we're having the yeah. same conversation again and again and I would much rather Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze saying stupid things than I would I Christian want. Bale standing <laughs> on a pole in the middle of the the different parts of the in the distance thinking about how hard his life is time being a millionaire yeah. like yeah. time is a fair play <laughs> you know like like thanks, dude. Yeah. You know, I would. I think. Are I'm, all those prostitutes still dead? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just watch you as a male stripper instead. Thanks very. All right. All right. All right. That's all. Like time is a flat circle. <laughs> Let's go, boys. Like, I I just feel very jaded at this point, and I do think that there are amazing stories out there to watch, and there's incredible art out there to consume and to experience and to become emotionally richer by. But whenever I come up against a dead end, like. True Detective or uh, or anything like that like it just it just disheartens me as a person who makes art and as a person who loves art and art loves film I stopped watching films for years I've only started my one of my 2016 resolutions was to watch more films mm. because I had lost my ability to enjoy them because I'm sitting down and the checklist starts and then I the checklist leads up to the conclusion that oh this this wasn't made for me okay yeah, like I choose my films a lot more carefully now Mm. than I would have before especially during college like I had a really good lecturer that would like <coughs> show us a lot of films with like queer subtract and stuff and that was something that I'd never experienced so I never got to relate to stuff like that I had to like make my own stuff mm-hmm. in like normal heterosexual media whereas being shown this stuff that was sort of like this is an intentional 
subtext, which like I, I always think that was, that's really cool. Like stuff like melodrama films from like the fifties, where mm. it's like there's some really gay stuff happening, but they don't talk about it at all. It's mm. really but it's interesting. there. It's there for you, and it's there to to someone being like, is, "Yeah, back. it's okay." Yeah. yeah, it's like this is you too. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. means. I mean, and I and I grew up in, in, in like a, a Nintendo kid. I played a lot of video games growing up, mm-hmm. and I loved science fiction and love science fiction. But now that I'm in the bizarre pos- and wonderful position where I get to make that stuff, I'm just like, no. But I'm not going to put it under the covers. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to put this low. This is. Very on this. Mm. I'm not going to have anyone scrambling for subtext or hoping that maybe yeah. these two girls feel this way about each but other. But that's really cool because that's only something I think is, that's happening in the last while because it, like, especially when I was younger, it just wasn't there. At yeah, all. progress. Mm. You know, slowly, slowly, mm-hmm. we'll get there. But uh, the Fifth Element. When I, the one thing I did think that I was watch, when I was watching it, I was like, man, if I re- what what would make this truly great is if Corbin Dallas, Ruby Rods. Uh, Vito Cornelius were women yeah. and Lilu was a dude oh my god who I would you cast would oh man that's a really good question yeah. who would you cast um, Lilu okay Corbin I would say like Adam Driver for Lilu <laughs> oh my god Adam Driver <laughs> um, Tilda Swinton for Zork oh my oh. god yeah I just want now. I just want yeah. Tilda Swinton Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zork and it's uh, Tilda and Swinton then, phenomenal yeah I don't know. Who would I have for Corbin? It's a really tough one because you like. You want women the same don't get kind of, those kind of roles, so you can't. I kind of want like you can't imprint anything no. onto it. No, but, we, but maybe maybe somebody like Nicole Kidman. Oh my god! Or Kate Blanchett, I was thinking because she's very oh, good and glacial and icy and stuff. Yeah. yeah, she'd be good. I think Emily Blunt could be good, or Kate Blanchett. I just love, I'll watch. Blanche gets cast in so many super masculine roles, though. I mean, I look, Carol. That's I saw true. her this year, and she was wonderful as this old. Like she was beautiful, but I think her her arena is sort of genderqueer in itself. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. that's true. Because um, she's played Dylan too, right? Yeah, yeah you know. That's true, yeah. So I want hyper feminine. You know. <gasps> okay. Like I want the girls' so, ponytails. Okay. Like, so, like Matthews. Like, yeah, yeah, Matthews. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Hollywood Honzos. That's it. Like. I'm um, trying to think who would be good. Imagine if you got like fucking like Jennifer Lopez to play a Corbin or something. Like some really super That would glam. be incredible. Yeah. Someone hyper glam. Yeah. Um, or like Kerry Washington. Kerry Washington. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bam. Kerry Washington. Yeah. For Corbin <laughs> uh, Adam Driver for Lilo because I'm just going to continue to objectify him. Um, oh, he's, he's weirdly hot. I can't. I so confusing. Like, yeah. I don't know what I feel. <laughs> Maybe I'll never know what I feel. <laughs> I don't Is know. it because of his character in Girls? No, no, he's a monster in Girls. Can't watch Girls. <laughs> no. I watched one episode of Girls and was like, oh, is that my bone that I can see? Oh, look, look at my, oh, all my nerve endings. No, I'm never watching yeah, this I again. Yeah, I not like it. Can't do it. Like Lena Dunham lying on the floor of her parents' apartment going, I'm the voice of my generation. I just turned the TV off. I was like, yeah. nope. It, nope. I don't like it. I, it annoyed me when people I liked related to it because I was like, who are you? <laughs> I mean, no one on that show is nice. The problem with girls is the same as the problem with Dunham. There's only one of it. Yes. There should be more. Yeah. Mm. That's the main problem. Broad City is the better representation of gal palship, I think. <gasps> yeah. Praise, praise be Broad City. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, yeah. I, um, I don't think I've seen anything like it in years. I don't think I've laughed authentically at anything in years no. as I have at that, no. at Abby and Alana. But uh, I'm trying to think who I would cast for Ruby Rods. Um, we like Laverne Cox. Um, Lupita Nyong'o. Mm, Lupita? Oh. Yeah. Lupita in comedy, huh? Ooh. Yeah. That would be amazing. She would cut loose. <sighs> yeah, maybe yeah. she'd be happy to be given the chance to yeah. do that, you know? Who knows? Um, who else would we have? Who would be Vito Cornelius, older and fabulous? Um, Judy Dench. That's, well, she's getting the default. Oh, for older and fabulous. Dench, what about yeah. Mirren? 
Mirren. They the age thing the age thing is such a problem as well because yeah. there's yeah. only the, the there's so few actors of a certain age. There's like mm. ten that are like older female yeah. actors. And they keep putting them all in the same movies yeah. together. They're like, here's Marigold Hotel. Oh, look at all <laughs> these old bananas. Like, it's so rude. Like yeah. you have to put them in real parts. Like um but you know, I would like to see a uh switched out version of it. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more switched out science fiction. I would like science fiction to be about women. But it's not. Um, and I think that that being where my mind, well, maybe my mind has always gone there with it. Yeah. Were you obviously then the new Star Wars? Like you must have been like buzzing about because it was. Oh yeah, couldn't stop crying. Yeah. Like because I'd never seen any Star Wars because I was always just like anyone who talked. I'm really contrarian sometimes. Where like if someone talks about something enough to me that they want me to watch it, I won't watch it. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like no, like I like. And then I watched this Star Wars and like the representation of the film in my head was nothing like I saw. Like they're actually just fun movies. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it was because people who talked to me about them were so serious and they made it seem so boring and clinical when it was actually just like the never ending story or something. You know, that kind of. It's a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think Ray helped me kind of break into that because it was like from her point of view as opposed to if it was from like just Finns or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know Star Wars is wonderful, and uh, you wrote a great essay about. Yeah. Oh, Ray. my girls explain Star Wars to you. Yeah. Uh, that was a time. That was the <laughs> note city. Oh my god, those notes, man! I got a. It was shared like ninety thousand times on Facebook, and it just went. It was went. It went somewhere that I don't think I've ever been on the internet before. To be honest, it was cool. It was nice to be able to have a conversation with more women about uh, science fiction to be honest and I feel that I for a really long time have wanted to write about science fiction but I got deterred by the climate online around women having conversations around video games mm. um, and it's hostile and all that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I was living in San Francisco during that time as oh, well oh wow uh, okay so uh, a lot of I got to know a couple of the lads who run GamerX which is the queer video game convention Ooh, and wow. um, I kind of would, would glance off that world socially every so often but the climate is horrific and it's not as bad now I, she says biting her tongue but like yeah. I didn't get anybody telling me they wanted to kill me after writing that Star Wars essay so yeah. surely that means I might be able to write one about like Zelda I don't know and I would love to write more about science fiction but I've been deterred by uh just how, just the climate. I remember and when I was little, I before I played any Zelda games, I thought it, that she was going to be the protagonist, and I remember being really upset because I was like, "Oh, it's late, so she doesn't Zelda doesn't do anything." I read that. Zelda as uh, not Zelda, <laughs> Zelda. Is, I read Link as female the whole way. Wow! I always put my name in instead of Link. Really? Yeah. So I've been reading Link as female my whole life, and uh, will continue to. Uh, no matter what they do and because uh, you're there with Link's back it's you yeah like it's a story about you yeah and the things that you go through like all like all all the best works of fiction are, are uh, crawl out of the page and kind of become a part of who we are as readers mm-hmm. um, or consumers I mean mm-hmm. I've I play more video games than I read books um, and um, with Zelda uh, The Legend of Zelda specifically uh, The Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask uh, because I'm of the right age to have experienced them when I was most open to those things. Um, I felt that I experienced those games in the second person. It was me that it all happened to. And the work, a lot of the work that I produce is in the second person. A lot of my fiction is you walk into a room and you do this. Because mm-hmm. I think that reaching out of the medium and into the person who's experiencing it's 
pulls them in a bit. Like pull, like no, pull, like pull them in. Yeah, like, actively do it because yeah. like break the novel, you know, mm-hmm. um, because video games actively rupture reality in that way. And uh, it's more immediate. That's cool. Yeah, and I know I read I read Link as me. Could be could be so much hair under that hat. That's yeah. Oh my God, it just could be a, like a top. The hat. tunic is the tunic is ambiguous. Yeah, it's got earrings. You know. Yeah. yeah. When you're a kid and you're looking to be somewhere and be someone, you'll find it. Yeah. Mm. They can try and stop you. And I guess it's our responsibility as makers of things to make it easier for them to find yeah. it and give them more opportunity and less resistance mm-hmm. to find bits of a mirror in the work, you know. Um, I actually wanted to say Ocarina of Time for this podcast because um, that's my, I guess Majora's Mask is my that's such, a, that's such a dirty hipster thing to say. Well, actually, I prefer Majora's Mask. I actually prefer the grittier one. But um, that was a... a and I feel like you, you compared Fifth Element structurally to Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fetch quest. Yeah. Go find these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I will. Like water, fire, earth and wind. Yeah. Where you heard that before? Because Zelda's so elemental. Yeah. Yeah. What are you so, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it all kind of loops. We've, we tell each other that the same stories over and over again and the structure of these stories overlap onto one another. And like they say, there's only seven stories, but there's really only one. And ultimately, if you want to boil that down to Bruce Willis carrying Miljavovic bridal style through a giant hotel <laughs> and returning her to the temple where she belongs with the rest of the special rocks, smooching her and showing her the true meaning of love so she can ultimately like charge the universe with her magical power. Like, a lot of emotional labour for her as a woman. Like, fair, you know, girl? Like, <laughs> fine. If that's the one myth, fine. But yeah. I think uh, instead of making me want to be Mila dyeing my hair red or not, mm. uh, I feel like I still would much rather be Ruby or Corbin. Yeah. And I think people who watch, even though it is dated in that way, I think there's enough weirdness in it as a text to find the weird viewers. Yeah. And to find the people who are looking for the stuff and bring them in, mm-hmm. you know. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, prone to getting real serious about things. No, real, it's like good. turn a left turn. Ah, we're going to serious town. Let's go. Population, you. Um, before we started recording, you said you don't think it would be made now. No. Why do you think that? Um, not in the same way. Uh, I think the aesthetic of it belongs in its time, and I think the look of a lot of. Uh, well, I don't think it would be made now because they'd rather make Spider-Man loves Batman with the cameo from Miss Marvel. They, you know, they wouldn't. Yeah. They don't. They don't want this kind of work anymore no. because they have. They're training. They Hollywood, the system. <laughs> you know, I think that cinema is moving away from, like, like in AAA video games, blockbuster movies. Yeah, aren't are just feeding down the same kind of thing at the moment I think incredible films are out, are, are still yeah. being made and I think that, that I mean like I said I stopped watching films for years and I'm just coming back into that now but I genuinely don't feel something as weird as The Fifth Element could exist again mm-hmm. the same way I'm not sure if they'll ever remake Brazil you know and yeah. if it did it wouldn't look right because it'd be CGI'd out the wazoo it'd be mm-hmm. all presumed yeah. it'd be all performed on a green screen there'd yeah. be no props it'd be textured and layered and filtered mm-hmm. the equivalent of auto-tuning Ariana Grande's incredible voice into a series of like into effectively a beautiful chip tune mm-hmm. like it would get touched to a point where you can't see what it is anymore yeah and I think what's what I love aesthetically about 
the um, and I love about the mood and the tone. I know tone is such a weird word, and it's one I keep coming back to because I think that's what I leave pieces of art with is a feeling and a sensation, and rather than detail, I'm like I'm all, I'm all about texture, man. Mm. All about all about touching the vibes. Yeah, all about the vibes. Yeah. California, three years. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you never really come back. No, um, but it's costuming and there's makeup and there's prosthetics and there's sets huge sets and there is absolutely some CGI but it's all attuned so neatly that the world holds together mm. and like to be fair Star Wars of course uh, The Force Awakens is world held together Yeah, but I don't think that they would throw a budget like Star Wars The Force Awakens at something like The Fifth Element at no. something as super weird as The no, Fifth no. Element even though in many ways it is a very traditional story mm-hmm. it's a weird movie Yeah, and I don't I just don't think it would happen you certainly wouldn't have a scene like Chris Tucker going down on a beautiful sexy air hostess no uh, you would I, prolonged like you, you, they return to that. Like you, mm. you just wouldn't see it. And if you did see it, there'd be eighty thousand thing pieces dis- dissecting it and discussing it yeah. and taking all of the organic joy from it. Yeah. So uh, I think if it were to exist again, we would be in a very different ballpark, um, and it just wouldn't contain the real artistic touches that it did because of the time that it was made in. Like it's, uh, it's, it's of its time and. And in some ways, that's failing. And in other ways, that's what makes it like super weird and super great. 